are in chapter 30 this evening, 2 Chronicles chapter 30. You know, it's interesting if you were to make a list of, you know, some of the, the more important's a tough word to use, but important people in the Old Testament. You know, we'd, we'd talk about guys like Moses and, and Abraham and, and, you know, David, you know, and, and moving through that list. But, man, I got to tell you, the more, the more we study and the more I, I read about Hezekiah, man, he's got to be right up there on the top of that list. Here's a king, as we mentioned last time, when he takes the throne, his dad was one of the most wicked kings in the, in the history of Judah, up until this point especially. And we talked about the fact that he had gotten to the point so much so that he had completely closed up the temple, closed off the temple to worship, uh, and even erected, had erected a, a false altar to mimic another altar that he had seen up, up in uh, a, a foreign country and moved the, the altar that God had designated for sacrifice off to the side. That was his dad. And we talked about the fact that all of Israel had followed after him so quickly. And here's Hezekiah, this young man. He comes onto the scene after his father dies. And then within the first month of his reign, he totally starts turning back all of those things, opens the temple back up, commands that it gets scrubbed floor to ceiling, if you would, and then the, and the sacrifice is reinstituted, and we see the, the, this revival then that starts within the country. This young man who, who, ha, who had a love for the Lord, a passion for, the, for God, regardless of where everything was headed, again, it, previously with his father. It even tells us in 2 Kings Chapter 18, when it's describing Hezekiah, it tells us he trusted in the Lord, the God of Israel, so that after him, there was none like him among all the kings of Judah, nor among those who were before him. For he clung to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but kept his commandments, which the Lord God had commanded Moses tells us that of all of the kings of Judah, since the, since the had split into from Israel and Judah split up, there was no other king like Hezekiah. And we continue to look at this uh, tonight. We, we only got through chapter 29 last time, which tells us of, again, him becoming uh, king and in that first month and the reforms that began. We continue now in chapter 30. It says, now Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah... And wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover to the Lord God of Israel. Understand that at this time, we've touched on this last time too, at this time in history, it's not recorded for us in in Chronicles, but it is in Kings, that at this point now, the Assyrians have come into and taken away the northern tribes of Israel. They have conquered the northern tribes. They have taken most of them away and, have, and taken them and, and, and spread them out over to the other areas that the Assyrians had conquered, brought in foreigners into Israel. That's what they would do. They would conquer these lands, take the prisoners, and then spread them out so that they, were, they couldn't re, re, or come back together and attack them. That was part of what they did. But the Assyrians were unbelievably brutal people. We're gonna, we'll discuss that a little bit more again later, but that's what is going on up in the north. 
And Hezekiah's heart is even, even to those that might still be a remnant up there, still people of, of Israel that were still there that had either escaped or, or that were allowed to stay. And he wanted to in, incorporate them into this revival, into this celebration of the Passover. We're going to note as we get to the end of chapter 30 that nothing has happened like this in all of Judah or Israel for over 200 years. There had been little celebrations here and there of Passover, but never like it was prescribed since the days of Solomon, 200 years prior. So he sends out this invitation not only to Judah, but up into Israel for the king and his princes and all the assembly in Jerusalem had decided to celebrate the Passover in the second month since they could not celebrate it at, the to- at that time because the priests had not consecrated themselves in sufficient numbers, nor had the people been gathered to Jerusalem. In Numbers chapter 9, the Lord prescribes when the Passover is to take place and it's to be in the first month. However, there were, there were provisions made for those who could not, who were ceremonially unclean. It wasn't that they would have to wait then until the next year. God made provision for them to celebrate the Passover in the second month. And Hezekiah and the leaders, because they weren't ready at this particular time, nobody was set for that, especially within the priesthood, that they would celebrate that then the Passover in the second month. Thus the thing was right in the sight of the king and all the assembly. So they established a decree to circulate a proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba even to Dan. And that was often used, Beersheba to Dan or Dan to Beersheba, to make sure to cover from top to bottom all of Israel. From Beersheba to Dan, that they should come to celebrate the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel at Jerusalem. For they had not celebrated it in in great numbers as it was prescribed, again, in over 200 years. The couriers went throughout all Israel and Judah with the letters from the, from the hand of the king and his princes, even according to the command of the king saying, O sons of Israel, return to the Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may return to those of you who escaped and are left from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your fathers and your brothers who were unfaithful to the Lord God of their fathers so that he made them a horror as you see. We know that as we've studied through this, there was never a single good king in all of the history of the northern ten tribes of Israel. Not one ever followed after the Lord. And all of the prophets continually kept coming to them, warning them to turn back to God, to turn back to God. And if they wouldn't, this this devastation would come upon them. And God, true to his word, because they would not, the Assyrians now have come in. And what the word that's going out from Hezekiah is learn that. See what has happened and simply turn back to God. God is still extending a hand of grace to you and even to your fathers and brothers, as he will say, if they will turn. This is, all, this is all done so that they would turn back to the Lord God. Now do not, verse 8, stiffen your neck like your fathers, but yield to the Lord and enter his sanctuary, which he, which he has consecrated forever, and serve the Lord your God, that his burning anger may turn away from you. For if, notice this, if you return to the Lord, your brothers and your sons will find compassion before those who who led them captive and will return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate and will not turn his face away from you if you return to him. He's gracious and he's compassionate. 
The reason for his discipline, as the author of Hebrews tells us, again, is because of his love, his grace, his compassion. It's not, it's not pleasant at the time, but it comes from a hand of love. God loves his people so much, he's, he doesn't want them to continue in this path. So discipline comes, and he's saying simply, if you will simply turn back, you will, you will be restored in your relationship to him. Verse 10, so the couriers passed from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh as far as Zebulun. Note this, but they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. The the invitation goes out, the offer of grace, forgiveness, simply by humbling yourself instead of, again, he uses the term stiffening your neck or the same thing would be used there to be hardening your heart. Instead of receiving God's rebuke and correction and simply turning and repenting, don't harden your heart even further. But that's what they did. Nevertheless, verse 11, some men of Asher, Manasseh, and Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. We need to understand, this is a, just a good little note as we would take this message to those that we would know, friends, relatives, even, even strangers, co-workers, this message of God's grace that is still extended to the world that is around us, that if they would simply humble themselves and repent and turn back to their creator, receive the free gift of salvation, they can be forgiven. When we take that message to a lost and dying world, we need to understand that there will be some that will mock us. There will be some that will laugh. But our prayer always is that there will be some that receive it. And we're called to be obedient in bringing the message, not successful. We're called to simply be obedient in sharing the truth of God's God's salvation that is extended through, through Jesus to any who would believe. And then we need to leave the Holy Spirit up to do his work in drawing those to the Lord. Some come back, though, as most of those, laugh them to scorn and mock them. Now, verse 13, many people were gathered at Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the second month, a very large assembly. So most of Judah is involved in this. Some have come back from the surrounding areas, a a very large assembly. They arose and removed the altars which were in Jerusalem. They also removed all the incense altars and cast them into the brook Kidron. Then they slaughtered the Passover lambs on the 14th day of the second month, again, that is prescribed in Numbers chapter 9. Note this, and we touched on this last time, and it bears repeating, and the priests and Levites were ashamed of themselves and consecrated themselves and brought burnt offerings to the house of the Lord. It doesn't indicate specifically why they were ashamed. I'll share my opinion again on that as I did last week. We know that these priests and these Levites were the ones that were also in power when Hezekiah's father was ruling, and they did not stand up to him. As a matter of fact, some of them were involved in erecting and building this false altar that he said simply to please the king, more worried about pleasing the king than worried about pleasing the king of kings. More worried about what, you know, everybody seems to be going along with this and the whole thing. And we don't want to rock the boat or we don't want to stand out or, you know, what would they say to us or do to us if we make a stand for the true and living God? 
And then when they see what happens when somebody does, you know, they're, they're probably worried and thinking about nobody else would follow me if I simply would step out in faith and do what I know I should do. And, 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 and so I'll just, I'll, just, I'll just lay back. Not all of them are guilty of, of erecting that altar, but they were all guilty of not saying anything. They all pulled back. They all played, played it off. And here they see Hezekiah standing up for God. And then they see this response. The multitudes respond. It was like all we were waiting for was somebody to stand up and make a stand for God. And they followed after that. And when they saw that, they were ashamed. Man, that should have been us. And I say that to challenge us. I say that to challenge everyone in our situations, wherever we are, in our neighborhoods, in our workplace, in our schools, to take a stand for God. We're in a time and a place where the culture around us, again, comes against almost everything that has to do with God. They're battling everywhere, you know, prayer in school and, and having different things posted in different places, not the separation of church and state and all of that everywhere. And we think, well, I, if I make a stand for that, what are they going to say? Am I going to be the outcast? Am I, what are people going to say about me? Am I going to be shunned? Well, bottom line, if you bear that reproach for the Lord Jesus, good for you and your, and your maker smiling. And bottom, I, I also would, would venture a bet that if you take that stand, you will find more will take it with you. However, we see again, amazing grace, even though these were afraid to, ashamed to do that, We'll see the grace that is extended to them and the opportunity for them to even join in. And so I say this as a, as a caveat to that. If you've ever been in that situation and you found yourself shrinking back because you know what you were worried about what the world might say or what others might, might think about you or do, it's not over. There's grace. There's forgiveness. There's other opportunities. Don't let the enemy tell you, you blew it. Man, you're disqualified. God could never use you. No, he wants to use you. But it takes now at that moment of stepping forward and taking a stand. Well, they stood, verse 16, now. They stood at their stations after their custom, according to the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests sprinkled the blood which they received from the hand of the Levites. For there were many in the assembly who had not consecrated themselves. Therefore, the Levites were over the slaughter of the Passover lambs, for everyone was unclean in order to consecrate them to the Lord. Again, this is the first time this has been done in a long time. So there are many that are, that are, that are considered, quote unquote, unclean. So there is a lot of sacrifice going on. Verse 18, for a multitude of, of the people, even from Ephraim and Manasseh, Issachar and Zebulun, had not purified themselves. They had, these people had never been involved in a, in a Passover celebration that honored the Lord. They were in the northern tribes. They were all, they were all had fallen away from God. So here they're coming. They had not purified themselves, yet they ate the Passover otherwise than prescribed for Hezekiah, prayed for them. They get involved in this because they want to have this restored relationship with God. They're excited about it. Their heart is in the right place. They just haven't followed all of the steps, all of the customs to, to be prepared that way. 
And Hezekiah sees this, and it's interesting. He says, may the Lord, may the good Lord pardon everyone who prepares his heart to seek God. Notice he's interceding. He's not condemning. He's not approaching this with a judgmental attitude. He's not He's not being legalistic here. He's not saying, hey, put that down. You're not, you're not ritually pure. No, instead he intercedes. Doesn't, doesn't record for us the prayer here, but I can almost see that it could almost go along the lines of, God, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Their heart, their heart is to be right with you. And so he intercedes on their behalf and, and may the good Lord pardon. We talked about God's goodness this weekend. Never underestimate that. May the good Lord pardon everyone who prepares his heart to seek the Lord. Lord, It says the Lord God of his fathers, though not according to the purification rules of the sanctuary, notice verse 20. So the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. He's praying for those who, who, who don't know any better and afterwards can then can then certainly teach them and 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 lead them in the ways of the lord verse 21 the sons of israel present in jerusalem celebrated the feast of unleavened bread for seven days with great joy and the levites and the priests praised the lord day after day note this with loud instruments to the lord i wonder if one of them was an electric ukulele but notice that, I, 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 I really appreciate this, with loud instruments. It was a loud praise celebration, worshiping God, because nothing like this has happened, again, in over 200 years. And, and there's so much to be thankful for and so much to praise God for. And we see that day after day, this worship continues. Verse 22, then Hezekiah spoke encouragingly, to all the Levites who showed good insight in the things of the Lord. Spoke encouragingly to the Levites. Again, not condemningly. He didn't bring up the fact that, you know, where were you when my dad was doing all of those horrible things? Now you come around? Now, now, now that when things are, he, none of that. He spoke encouragingly. Again, not judging, not condemning, but encouraging. Hebrews chapter 3 says this, verses 12 and 13. Take care, brethren, that there not be in any one of you an evil, unbelieving heart that falls away from the living God. Verse 13, but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, so that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. Encourage one another day after day. That word that's interesting that's used there is the Greek word parakleo, and that in its close, uh, uh, another word close to it is used over 140 times in the New Testament. And it means to comfort, to come alongside, to, to encourage. And I, I like that. Day after day, as long as it is called today. I love how the author of Hebrews puts that in there. As long as it's called today. So if you're ever in a day that you could say is today, you are to encourage, not belittle, 
not judge, but encourage one another. I wonder how good that felt. Have you ever gotten an encouraging word when you felt really down on yourself? When you were beating yourself up, the enemy was just maybe having a field day with you and somebody came along and gave you an encouraging word? I'm sure that they were certainly encouraged with that. So they ate for the appointed seven days, sacrificing peace offerings and giving thanks to the Lord God of their fathers. Then the, I love this, verse 23, then the whole assembly decided to celebrate the feast another seven days. Man, we just can't get enough of this. This is just, this is just awesome. We're taking a whole other national week off to worship God some more. So they celebrated the seven days with joy. For Hezekiah, king of Judah, had contributed to the assembly 1,000 bulls and 7,000 sheep. And the princes had contributed to the assembly 1,000 bulls and 10,000 sheep. That's a serious barbecue going on. And a large number of priests consecrated themselves. More and more coming back. More and more being forgiven. More and more being restored and consecrated and set apart again for the Lord. All the assembly of Judah rejoiced with the priests and the Levites and all the assembly that came from Israel, both the sojourners who came from the land of Israel and those living in Judah. This is just like this huge, massive family reunion. Again, just worshiping and serving God. And we'll see as we move into the next chapter, the, re the restoration of the priests and the Levites to their, their function and in and, and leading the, the children of Israel in, the, in Judah in worship. Verse 26, so there was great joy in Jerusalem because here it is, there was nothing like this in Jerusalem since the days of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, over 200 years. Then the Levitical priests arose and blessed the people and their voice was heard and their prayer came to his holy dwelling place to heaven. <laughs> the prayers and the praise reached the throne in heaven because again, it came from hearts that truly were seeking after God again. Great revival taking place again because one man was willing to stand up for the things of God. And to lead. Now when, verse chapter 31, now when all this was finished, so the two weeks is done, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah, broke the pillars in pieces, cut down the ashram, and pulled down the high places, and the altars throughout all Judah and Benjamin, as well as in Ephraim and Manasseh, until they had destroyed them all. They went through every square inch of the land, destroying all of the idols. They come out of this incredible moment of praise, meeting God, God hearing their prayer. Again, God doing a work in, in the hearts of the people, them responding. And with that, after they came out of that, we got to get rid of all of this stuff. All of these things that have taken us away from God. And I encourage you, it's, Hezekiah's story is recorded for us in three different places in the Old Testament. What we're looking at tonight is an abbreviated version. Actually, if you fit all, all of them together, it really, 
you get you get a much bigger picture. It's recorded for us in Second Kings for you note takers, chapters 18, 19, and 20. I want to go look at a little bit in that here right now, real quickly. But also the prophet Isaiah records it for us in in the book of Isaiah, chapters 36 through 39. Those that Isaiah's account very closely follows the king's account. But it tells us here that, that they went through and they destroyed all of the idols. And when we look in 2 Kings chapter 18, there's an interesting piece with that. In verse 4, it says, He removed the high places, broke down the sacred pillars, cut down the asherim, the obvious idolatry. Those things that were, that were obvious, those aren't of the Lord, these 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 altars and statues and places actually built to foreign gods. These weren't even, these had nothing to do with the true and living God. So those are obvious things. But there's an interesting note in 2 Kings, this subtle idolatry. It says, he also broke into pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the sons of Israel burned incense to it and called it Nahushtan, which means the thing of bronze. Now, that bronze serpent, back, back in, the, in the days when the children of Israel are in the wilderness, they're, they're in a time, again, as they often were, where they were complaining. God had delivered them. God is bringing them through. God continually provides for them everything that they need, but they're complaining. They're complaining about you know, the weather. If we, if we were still back in Egypt, we wouldn't be dealing with this. They're complaining about manna because we, oh, we got manna in the morning, we got manna in the evening, got manna in the afternoon. It's just manna, you know, complaining. And it tells us that God sent these fiery serpents among them. And if anyone got bitten by the fiery serpent, they didn't have, they didn't have long to live. They were going to die, and it was a painful, a painful thing. So they come to Moses. Moses goes to the Lord. The Lord said, this bronze serpent, you put it in the middle of the assembly on this pole and you put it up in the middle of the assembly and everybody who simply looks at that bronze serpent will be healed. Just in faith, looking at that bronze serpent will be healed. And the amazing part of that story to me isn't the miracle because we know that God can do that. I mean, that, he, he can, he, God can do anything. The amazing part of the story is there were still some of those that were so stubborn they wouldn't look at the serpent and died. But we also know that that bronze serpent lifted up in the wilderness is a picture of Christ being lifted up on the cross. And it's all it takes is simply, again, a heart that is surrendered and bowed and and broken before God and looking to the cross, looking to the completed work of Jesus on the cross, and all of our sins are forgiven. Yet we know people refuse to do that. But back to the idolatry. That was done for that purpose alone. But we see that, that they, they embrace this thing now. Wow, okay, and they kept it, and they burn incense to it. And it sounds like that would be a good thing, but it's not. Anything, that, that, that takes the focus away from God. And now all of a sudden, it's this bronze serpent. And that subtle idolatry, anything that, again, takes the, the focus that it almost becomes like a, the lucky rabbit's foot or whatever it is. No, it's God. It wasn't the bronze serpent that healed. God healed. He chose to 
use that as an article of them putting their faith in that. But God is the healer. And that subtle idolatry that they also did away with. Interesting, again, how this goes through this. God working in their hearts. They, they worship. They come. They praise the Lord together. They go through all of this. And then individually dealing, no doubt, with things in their lives, but wiping all of the idolatry out. And then notice it says, then all the sons of Israel returned to their cities, each to his possession. Then they went home. They, they dealt with the things that God was dealing with in their heart immediately. Then they went home. And I don't want to overemphasize a point here, but I think it's important to note, guys, if God's dealing with something in you, even right now, of the subtle thing of idolatry in your life, maybe something that has a wrong place in your life, deal with that now. We've spent some time worshiping God already. We spent, we're spending time in his word and we're, and we're here together. God's dealing with that. Don't go home and say, you know what? I'll take care of that later. Because you know as well as I do. The distractions that come in and before you know it, we get comfortable back in there. God dealing with something? Deal with it. As they did, then they went home. Hezekiah now, it tells us in verse 2, appointed the divisions. It's in the, the, uh, one commentary I read today made a big deal that, that the definitive article is there. The divisions of the priests. This wasn't just some random thing. He went back to, as if you remember, when First Chronicles, when David was setting up all of these divisions of the priests for the, the worship of God in, a, in an orderly way, and they ha- got into that rotation that we talked about. That's what's being referred to here. He's reestablishing all of those things that have been done away with. He appointed the divisions of the priests and the Levites by their divisions, each according to his service, both the priests and the Levites for burnt offerings and peace offerings to minister and to give thanks and to, and to praise in the gates of the camp of the Lord. He also appointed the king's portion of his goods and the burnt offerings, namely for the morning and evening burnt offerings and the burnt offerings for the Sabbaths and the new moons and the fixed festivals as it is written in the law of the Lord. Also, he commanded the people who lived in Jerusalem to give the portion due to the priests and the Levites that they might devote themselves to the law of the Lord. Again, going back, this is what God says, guys. This is the written law of God. We need to obey God's word. And even when it comes to supporting the priests and, 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 and giving, giving to the work of God in that, as soon as the order spread, notice this, the sons of Israel provided in abundance. The first fruit of grain, new wine, oil, honey, and all of the produce of the field, and they brought it abundantly, the tithe of all. It with a heart of, of gratitude and thanksgiving, as was supposed to be. This came out, they're, they're being reminded, this is what the word of God says. They said, okay, if that's what the word of God says, we want to honor and obey that. And they bring it out abundantly. The sons of Israel, verse 6, and Judah, who lived in the cities of Judah, also brought in the tithe of oxen and sheep and tithes and sacred gifts, which were consecrated to the Lord their God and placed them in heaps. <laughs> they're just bringing stuff, and there's so much they're bringing. There's just mountains of it, heaps. In the third month, they began to make the heaps and finished them in the seventh month. When Hezekiah and the rulers came and saw the heaps, they blessed the Lord and his people Israel. Then Hezekiah questioned the priests and the Levites concerning the heaps. Must not have liked the way the heaps were set up. Azariah, the chief priest in the house of Zadok, said to him, Since the contributions began to be brought into the house of the Lord, we have had enough to eat with plenty left over. 
For the Lord has blessed his people, and this great quantity is left over. The idea, again, here that the understanding comes, and, and everybody's getting it. When you're worshiping God and you're, you're praising God and you're doing it co- corporately and, and God's dealing with things in your life and you're reading the word and you're in the word and, and, you're, and you're convicted on something and you're moving forward with that. And then this realization comes, God has blessed us with all of this. This is coming from God's hand and it's our pleasure to bring it back and to make heaps out of it, <laughs> to give it back to God. I was just reminded of that when we looked through this. Again, back to David's time when he was putting all of this together. And if you'll remember, if you were part of our study back in 1 Chronicles chapter 29, when he calls on, on the people to give to, again, the work of building the temple, getting it ready for Solomon to build. And it says they offered willingly and they rejoiced in their giving and they rejoiced greatly as it just keeps going through. And then David said this, but who am I? And who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? For all things come from you, and from your hand we have given you. That's a great understanding to understand what it is to give back to God. He gives it to us and blesses us with the opportunity to give it back to him, to use it for his work. Again, in a, in a, as he would lead in each individual heart, And they do it, and there's a great quantity left over. Then Hezekiah commanded them to prepare rooms in the house of the Lord, and they prepared them. They faithfully brought in the contributions and the tithes and the consecrated things. And Conaniah the Levite was the offerer in charge of them, and his brother Shemei was second. And then there's a list of others that are involved in that. You can butcher those names on your own. It also involved in distributing, verse 15, faithfully their portions of their brothers by divisions, whether great or small. The whole system is set back up again the way it's supposed to function under Hezekiah. These, the priests, the Levites being taken care of through, as it's all being said, as well as the priests who made, who were enrolled genealogically according to their father's households and the Levites from 20 years old and upwards and their duties and their divisions. The genealogical enrollment included all their little children and their wives, the sons and the daughters and the whole assembly, for they consecrated themselves faithfully in holiness. Also. For the sons of Aaron, the priests who were in the pasture lands of the cities or in each of every city, there were men who were designated by name to distribute portions to every male among the priests and to everyone genealogically enrolled among the Levites. Now, we read through that, and again, we can, we can look at that and we can say, I, we don't really understand that, the intricacies of that. That's not how it functions for us today. But God laid out a very specific plan and the way things were to be done when it came to worshiping the Lord and the sacrificial system and the temple. And then again, through David, setting all of this stuff up. And here again, we see a man who is so passionate about the things of the Lord, he wants to get everything back in line. And the chronicler sums this all up for us in verses 20 and 21. Thus Hezekiah did throughout all Judah. And he did what was good, right, and true before the Lord is God. 
every work which he began in the service of the house of God in law and in commandment, seeking his God. Notice, he did with all his heart and he prospered. How about that <laughs> to be written on your tombstone? How, wouldn't it be great if, if somebody could say that about, about your life. I mean, I read that, and that is a challenge to me. Did throughout all Judah, and he did what was good and right and true before the Lord his God. Everything that he was doing, his, his heart was right before the Lord with all of his heart, passionately after God. You'll remember back a few chapters ago in chapter 25, we, we saw Amaziah did right in the sight of the Lord, yet not with all his heart. And we saw the downfall later on with him. But here we see a man fully after God. Again, I remind you, a king, and it's important as we're going to get in a moment, not a king like him before, not a king like him after, fully after the Lord is God. And we're not going to have time to get through chapter 32, so I'll just touch on a little bit here to kind of set the stage for next time. Notice as chapter 32 begins, after these acts of faithfulness, after all of this, and again, after the summary that we have here, after all of these acts of faithfulness to his God, wouldn't you assume that it's going to say that everything went smooth and perfect the rest of his life? The sun shined on his back every day. He never had a problem, never had a conflict. The Assyrian army I had mentioned was known for their brutality. They weren't, they didn't, there was no, there was no rules of engagement in war. They, they were a terror organization. They ruled by terror. They ruled by fear. So much so, when, if, if you were lucky enough to be captured alive by them and transported to your new destination, because like I said, they would take prisoners and take them to other areas that they had conquered and spread you out and take those from there and, and, and do all that. If you were lucky enough to be captured, the way you were transported is they'd put a hook through your jaw. And you got a hook through your jaw, you're going to go where, they're, where you're being led. If there was any, they would come to a, a, their normal way of doing it. They'd surround the, the village or the city that they would come and they'd, they'd starve you out or if you surrendered. If you fought against them, if you, if you retaliated, what they would do, they'd, they'd come on in and they would cut off every head of every person in, in the entire city, man, woman, and child, and make a pile of the heads outside the city. Not to say anything to the people in the city, they're all dead. To say anything to anybody that might pass by, don't mess with us. This will happen to you. They, they would skin entire villages alive and put the skins of the people all the way around the village. I and mean, that's, that's who we're talking about here. After these things, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and invaded Judah. That doesn't, that, that doesn't sound like that should follow after everything we read, does it? God, we're going to see that God is going to show up in a miraculous way. And we're going to see that 
that God is going to do some, something amazing. Uh, uh, spoiler alert. Uh, you, can read, you can read ahead the, the trailer that's going to, you know, as we'll get into that. Like I said, I, I, I really, I can't, I can't go a whole lot farther because the story begins here. But bottom line, we know in Romans chapter 8, it says that God works all things together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his son, so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And these whom he predestined, he also called. And these whom he called, he also justified. And these whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we say then to these things? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all, how will he not also with him freely give us all things. If you're in a situation now that you're going through and a difficulty that you're facing, and you're like, oh, God, I don't understand. I, I'm trying to follow after you with, with, with all of my heart. I, 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 don't, I don't understand. This doesn't seem to line up. Perhaps, again, like you, you, uh, Hezekiah could have said, what else do I have to do? But as we see in Romans 8, it tells us God works all things together for good, and he tells us the reason so that we will be conformed into the image of his son. And if that's the end for us is to be conformed into the image of Jesus, he goes on to say, wouldn't it make sense, and I'm paraphrasing, that God would give us these things in our lives that will make us into the image of his son? Wouldn't that make sense? If we're praying, God, I want to be more like Jesus. <laughs> Wouldn't it make sense that he's going to bring things into our life that will make us more like Jesus? His word tells us that he's going to work all those things together for good. We have to trust him. We have to trust that he, is, he knows what he's doing. And like I said, the story is amazing. I can't wait. I was, I was really actually thinking we'd get to it tonight. Um, Bottom line, in the end, God is glorified. And Hezekiah, again, his faith even strengthened even more. An amazing man of God. But we need to understand that the enemy is relentless. The enemy is brutal. But God will work all of the things he promised he'll never leave us or forsake us. He promised he will never allow us to go through something that he won't make sure we get through. If we, if we lean on him, if we rely on his power. But he never promised that it'll just be all sunshine on your back. As a born-again believer, he did promise, though, we will be glorified. We will stand in his presence one day. Perfect. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for, again, the examples that you give us in your word. We thank you for the example of a man like Hezekiah, one who, one who was not ashamed to stand up for, for you, for your truth. And Lord Jesus, that's our heart. That's our desire. That in the day that we live in, in the things that we face around us, Lord, that we would be bold to stand up for you. 
that we would be bold and not ashamed of the gospel, the good news, for in it is your power for salvation for everyone who believes. Lord Jesus, give us opportunity to shine your light in this dark world. And Lord, I pray even right now for those here who have been beating themselves up perhaps or the enemy having a field day in their mind over opportunities perhaps where we have backed away, where we haven't taken a stand for you. Lord, we know that there is forgiveness. Simply confess that to you now. Lord, we pray for opportunities to stand for you going forward. Lord, we thank you and we praise you for who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Just a quick note, uh, next week uh, is VBS, so we won't be, won't be meeting next week. So in two weeks, we will continue uh, story of Hezekiah. God bless you guys. Have a good rest of the week.